Welcome. Um, if you don't know me, I'm Alex Lyle. I'm the pastor here at Streatham Central Church. Um, very welcome. I'm excited about this passage. Initially, I was sort of, oh, we come here again. I preached on this in Mark. I preached on this in Matthew. For those of you who were here at the beginning when the church started, um, we're back here. Maybe we could just jump on to the next thing. And then I realised that maybe it's in the Bible three times because the Lord wants us to really listen to this, to really grasp this. This is absolutely crucial to us understanding how Jesus communicates. <coughs> but as we start, I, I just want you to look down at verse 12. And you see that ver- those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Either that's a load of superstitious nonsense or as we look deep at Jesus' words here, there's a spiritual battle going on. For the hearts of those who do believe, also the hearts of those who do believe that we might forget immediately what we learn that we might not do what Jesus says at the end and put it into practice. So as we pray now, we're not just sort of ticking the box of, we always start the sermon with a prayer because that's a good thing to do. We're doing something very, very serious. We're asking God to push the devil out of the picture and to give us ears to hear that changes our hearts. So let's pray. Our Father, thank you that we can come to you as our Father and and ask you for good gifts. And we pray for this great gift of hearing. Hearing that not only goes into our intellects, so that we have intellectual understanding, but hearing that changes our hearts. We're very conscious that the devil would like to take away the word from our hearts. That he'd love us to forget what we hear. He'd love it if it made no difference. Pray that that wouldn't happen. And instead, by your Spirit, you would shape us, change us, make us the people you want us to be, by your grace, because we know that we don't deserve it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, what do you do if you're not convinced someone is listening to you? What do you do? Just some answers from Sorry, what was you were discussing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get those ones out of the way. Um, <laughs> uh, what do you do? Uh, in the moment, what are some of the funny things? Can anyone think of a husband and wife, a friend, so a child? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got that. Lucy does that a lot. She's made conversation and she'll go rhubarb, 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 rhubarb. And I go, what? She's... Oh, okay. <laughs> um, what else? Don't practice it, we said, from the European table. Yeah, that got everyone's attention. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that did. That did. That um, certainly shocked the powers that be. Um, what else? Whether you let it go or whether you 
Exactly. It's just like someone can't just randomly walk in there now come and say, oh yeah, by the way, Alex, let's talk about all your most deepest personal issues. You're going to be like, oh, the question mark. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just one of those things where, I don't know, because depending on the type of conversation that you have with the person, it really varies on how you have the conversation itself. Yeah. So. The how they're listening. Oh, yeah. oh, you do. Oh, you say it more than what you're yes. saying as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because you, you wouldn't want to sugarcoat it because you want to let them know the raw facts. But then yeah. again, you wouldn't want to be raw with them to the point where they're like, "Okay, cool." Because everyone has that defense mechanism where they're like, "Okay, cool. This is going to go too much. I'm just going to not listen." So then, it's more. It's <laughs> to get back to how do you appeal to that person? Yeah. And I think that's. I think that I don't know if anyone else agrees with me. That's the most hardest part. No, that's very helpful. It's very helpful. And the, the, yeah, showing them that you love them first is so important, isn't it? Because often, if we really want someone to listen to us, we want to say something really quite harsh to them. Yeah. Um, because the lovely things to say are, are fairly easy to say and they're fairly easy to hear. Um, it's amazing that we're moving, actually, from chapter 7 into chapter 8. So we had a, a break last week in, in Psalm 46. Um, but the end of chapter 7... We got to see that that woman, known as the sinner, who got out her most precious perfume and broke the jar and poured it on Jesus' feet, having washed them with his with her tears and and wiped them with her hair, expressing a deep, deep love because she knew she had been loved by him. Incredible grace. And it's interesting as we move into this section, that should be forefront in our minds. We've just seen in chapter seven what does does real faith, what does great faith look like? Both the, the centurion at the beginning of chapter 7, who, who came to Jesus helpless and undeserving, he had great faith, Jesus said, because he knew that Jesus gave people what they don't deserve. That's what the Pharisees, that's what everyone else hadn't worked out. They thought Jesus, God, came to give us what we deserve, give us a pat on the back. And he realised he deserved nothing from Jesus, but Jesus would help him in his helplessness. And the sinful woman as well realised she deserved nothing from Jesus. But she demonstrated that um, shameless love and worship of the one who'd given her what she didn't deserve. So as Jesus calls us to listen, it's in that context. But the question comes, how can we be like them? How can we know we've listened and understood? It's a great question to be asking, isn't it? How, how I, I look at that, I, if you were here, you'll know that I was moved to tears by how, how much worse I am than the sinful woman who came to Jesus. And I wanted to change, I want to love him more, but how? How, how do I go from knowing intellectually that that's true to, to really listening such that it changes me? Well, that's where we're going. Um, but before we get there, we're just going to work our way through the passage. And the first thing we're going to see is on your sheets, point one. Proclaiming was Jesus' priority. So listening matters because speaking or proclaiming was Jesus' priority. Let's um, uh, start again at uh, chapter 8, verse 1 on the sheets. After this, after that encounter with the sinful woman, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. It's just a little bit of extra detail that we get. So Jesus' priority there in in verse 1 is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And he's got the 12 with him, that's the apostles, who he's training up to be the ones who will lead the church and take the message, that same proclamation out. But they're not just on their own as an elite. There's a whole load of others, there's a whole support team. And it's very striking, this, this would have just really jarred with the first century mindset that all these women 
from, from different backgrounds, one who would have been a complete sort of social outcast to kind of shoved away somewhere if she was demonically possessed, Mary, through to Joanna, the wife of the manager of Herod's household, someone in the royal household, the aristocracy. You've got this extraordinary range. And they're, they're women, women who weren't supposed to be listed, weren't supposed to be mentioned in society. Luke puts them there, front and centre, because Jesus wanted women to be involved in leadership and structure and management of the work that he was doing. And he could see how useful they were and how servant-hearted they were. And it's striking, isn't it? These weak women were helping to support them out of their own means. They were giving of, of themselves as a model. Um, I, I don't know when it was, in the 19th century or something, that the law was changed so that um, a woman's property didn't automatically become the jurisdiction of her husband because women can't manage their affairs. Well, here we clearly see these women can manage their affairs and should be trusted with great things. But the point here is that Jesus is out proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And from the moment that we, we saw his public ministry begin, that's his priority. His first ever sermon, he quotes from Isaiah and he says, The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And by that he clearly meant from the context the spiritually poor, the, the spiritually destitute, those who need God's help. And he says in that one tiny little section, proclaim, <coughs> proclaim, proclaim. That's my priority. Words is Jesus' thing. Speaking is his thing. And so that should be our priority too. Either being the ones who are publicly proclaiming or uh, to big groups or doing it one-to-one, we should all be doing that, and supporting the proclamation of the good news. You mustn't forget, this is good news, people need to hear this. This was Jesus' priority. It should be our priority too. In whatever way we're able, whatever our gifts, whatever our circumstances. Is that where I think that's a, yeah, that's a whole thing, isn't it? But actually, yeah, so often we think of being Christ-like as just a character thing, but it's, it's a word. It's actually the actions of Christ as well. Yeah. Evidently, not the miracle. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're gonna, and we're going to see that more. We're going to see that more as we come on. Um, so now we're going to go into a slightly longer section here, and it's a, it's a question. Why did Jesus speak in parables? Why did Jesus speak in parables? Um, here's another little discussion if you'd have, or, or perhaps we can just do it um, straight from the floor. If you asked a few people on the street today, so if you, if you went out and you were chatting to some friends at work or just stopped someone in the street who wasn't a Christian and asked them why they thought Jesus told stories, if they happened to know that he did tell stories, what, what do you think they'd say? Why did Jesus tell stories? What, off the top of your head. <coughs> Make things easier to understand. Make things easier to understand. <coughs> Less boring. Less boring. Uh, that's true, yeah. Uh, sorry, guys, I'm just really bored. <laughs> 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 like, I, I just want to, well, like, whoever doesn't know me, I'm really, really bored. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, I, think, I think people understand things better in pictures rather than just explaining. It's like doing a maths test. Yeah. You much rather learn. Like if somebody actually drew up the equations and like showed you this and that problem. Yeah. And it's like, obviously Jesus speaks of things of granted to status. So if he was to come and tell you, oh, then by the way, this and that, blah, 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 you'll be like, huh? But like, if he explains it as a soul, like yeah. the seeds and whatnot, yeah. it's, it's much more easier for people. We understand things better as pictures and stories. Yeah. And we absorb things better that way. And I think it, it, it makes it digestible for people. So yeah. I don't know. It's, We're going to see, yeah, I mean, that's really helpful. I think that is the the kind of inbuilt assumption that we've got. We're going to find a little surprise in here. There's there's a lot of truth in that. It's not wrong. But actually, in this section, we're going to see something that jars with that. So let's see as we read. Let's go to verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. So here's the large crowd gathering. 
Jesus is famous for going around healing, forgiving, welcoming sinners, and people are coming to him. And if you were one of the disciples there, if you were one of the twelve, you'd be thinking, great, we've got the support team here, we've got large crowds coming. Jesus, this is your moment, this is your big moment, the massive crowds, tell them what they need to hear. Come on, Jesus. Verse 5. Jesus starts his sermon. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, literally shouted, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So there's Jesus' sermon. End of sermon. We know that because verse 9 sort of ends and disciples can come up to him and ask him what this parable meant. So, end of sermon, verse 8. Okay, just discuss amongst yourselves, again, just one minute. What would verses 4 to 8 tell you about God if it was the only thing you heard? You're part of this big crowd, you're thinking, who's this Jesus guy? Sermon starts, sermon ends, verses 5 to 8. What? What would it tell you about God if it was the only thing you heard? Okay, I said I'd be, be short. What, what would we learn about God? He's a good farmer. God's a good farmer? Where's God mentioned? No, 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 Jesus. Oh, Jesus is a good farmer. We might think Jesus was into agriculture. Yeah. Uh, I, think he's a, I think he's the most obvious farmer. Like, if, like, if I was there, I would not be poor. So I'm guessing you should bring a seed to the soil. <laughs> there you are. Yeah. When you get some seeds and you have some soil and you put some seeds on them, stuff happens. I'll take that and go tell people that listen, make sure it doesn't go in the path of the birds. <laughs> there you are. It's not that useful, is it? No. And so no wonder, verse 9, his disciples ask him what the parable meant. <laughs> I mean, you can, you can just... See them thinking, Jesus, seriously, we've, we've heard you back in chapter 6, and you've got some really deep stuff to say. I mean, that was amazing. And, and we know this is a society of farmers, and you want to connect with them, but you're a carpenter. And they didn't come here for some mediocre farming conference, Jesus. Why do you tell them stories like that? I mean, come on, Jesus, play to your strengths. Do some more miracles. Look, they're heading off. There's only a few of us left. What does this mean? But actually, it's the point of the story. Because Jesus' story doesn't just end. It ends with a call, doesn't it? With a shout. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So Jesus' story ends with a kind of cliffhanger. Not, Not in the story itself. It's a pretty boring story but it's a cliffhanger in terms of an appeal for people to listen. He's saying if, if you're willing to listen, if you're willing to come close and, and, and listen carefully, then there's more to be had here. But what we see is that the, the crowds disappear. They come for the miracles. They come for the useful stuff that Jesus can give them. But when it becomes clear that Jesus just wants to talk, they head off. And we get, a, we get a division happening. A division between those who are willing to get to know Jesus and those who are not. And the extraordinary thing is here, it's deliberate. Jesus wants to create a division. You see, verse 9, his disciples ask him what the parable meant, but he doesn't answer them straight away. Instead, verse 10, he said... The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables so that, though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Does that not make you feel a little bit uncomfortable? 
Jesus is supposed to be inclusive, but he's creating a, a division between you, who've been given some kind of secret knowledge he's talking about, and others who are spoken to in parables so that they may not see or understand. And it gets worse, actually. Verse 18, just look down to verse 18. Jesus divides between the haves and the have-nots. Verse 18, whoever has will be given more, whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. So suddenly we get a shock with the parables. Far from being inclusive, simple stories, they are deliberately divisive, and it seems shockingly unfair. But before we get upset, we need to work out what exactly it is that divides. Yes, it is a division between the haves and the have-nots, but what is the thing that they have? It's certainly not money or social status. We've seen that. Jesus came for the, the poorest of the poor, the lowest of the low, and the richest of the rich. They're all there together, mixed among his followers. No, the thing you either have or don't have is the desire to respond to Jesus' appeal to listen. Verse 9. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Or verse 18. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. It's the desire to listen to Jesus. The desire to know Jesus, the desire for a relationship with Jesus. And that that makes sense, doesn't it? Because all human relationships are founded on words. If you think of an animal, well, animals can have a relationship, can't they? But the most they can do is sort of snuffle and make funny noises and rub up against each other. And they can show some kind of affection. But in terms of a really deep relationship, we can't have that. Part of being human is that we're made in the image of God, the God who speaks. The God who planned the universe in his mind with words before he then spoke them out. The reason that we need words for relationship is because we're made in the image of that God and that God became a human being in the person of the Lord Jesus. And he's made clear and he makes clearer now that his words matter more than anyone else's. And so the division is based on that desire to listen to him or not. So why did Jesus speak in parables? Well, parables divide a little bit like automatic doors divide. Many of you will have heard this before, but I just do think it's very, very helpful because it helps us to understand why this is a kind of right kind of division. So if you come close to automatic doors with the aim of coming in, they open for you and they draw you in, don't they? And you get to experience all the blessings of being inside Lidl or whatever it is. But if you, uh, if you just stand from a distance and you seem interested, you think, oh, I wonder what little is like. Oh, what kind of people go there? It's not quite as good as Waitrose, is it? And you just sort of judge the doors from the outside. Well, then they remain close to you. And what's inside remains a secret that you never get to experience. Verse 10. Do you see? He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Jesus is quoting from Isaiah, which is a section on judgment against those who refuse to listen to the God of relationship, the God who calls to them and asks them to come to know him. So Jesus is saying to his followers, you're part of this kingdom because you know me, the king. And as with any relationship in this kingdom, our relationship with Jesus will grow and deepen as we get to know him better through his word, speaking to us. And so, as verse 18 says, whoever has, as in whoever listens, will be given more and will have in an abundance. And the ultimate fulfillment of that is, is where the good news is heading, is in the new creation, when, when heaven and earth will come together And we will see God face to face. The relationship will be perfect. 
But Jesus is saying, if you have no real desire to listen to me, well then you're not in the kingdom. You're on the outside. If you have no real desire for Jesus to be your king and to show you the best way to live under his good and loving rule, life in all its fullness, well then he will give you what you've asked for and ultimately even the little that you have will be taken away. You see, sin is in its sort of simplest form just the desire to be independent from God. The desire to push God away and to live life my way, deciding for myself what's right and wrong. I don't want God to get involved. But if you push the God of life and joy and goodness, the very source of life, away, well, it's, it's spiritual suicide. It's like a branch cutting itself off from the tree that it depends on. And so like, like automatic doors, parables both draw people in or they stand in judgment against those who won't listen. And if we don't respond to Jesus' call, then the doors remain closed. But if we do come and we listen to Jesus, then, then something wonderful happens. We get to be part of his family. Why did Jesus speak in parables? You can write the answer in your sheet if you like that, if that helps you to concentrate. To build a new family. Let's have a look at verses 19 to 21. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. But they were not able to get near because of the crowds. So someone told him, your mother and brothers are here standing outside wanting to see you. The word brothers could include brothers and sisters. It's a sort of generic word. He replied, my mother and brothers and sisters are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. See what Jesus is saying? That coming close and listening to him isn't just about a bit of intellectual knowledge. It's not just a bit of interesting historical fact. Coming and listening to Jesus, hearing his words, hearing God's words. It's a family relationship. And it's striking, isn't it, that he doesn't just say, my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Kind of in, in general, everyday ways of speaking across the cultures, you know, brothers can be quite a distant term. You can never be distant from your mother. In the sense of, she physically gave birth to you. Jesus is saying the true relationship that is intimate, that is real, as family is supposed to be, is when you come close and you listen to me and you hear my words and you put them into practice. It's a wonderful thing, it's a beautiful thing. Jesus is drawing in a new family. But in this last section... I just want us to think about how do we put Jesus' word into practice. And we're going to go back to the explanation of the parable. And we're just going to think through some of the hows. And I'm going to go quite quickly through the, the notes on your sheet. But hopefully that will help you. And um, I've written them all down there, A to F, to help you to concentrate um, as we go through quite fast. So here we come to the explanation of the parable. And the question is, how do we put Jesus' words into practice? How do we go from intellectual understanding into life lived? And that's why I think Jesus tells this parable. To help us to know what it means to draw in closer. So, verse 12, the first point there is by expecting a spiritual battle. And we looked at that as we prayed at the beginning. You see verse 12? Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. It's so easy to forget this, especially in our culture, in, in other cultures where the spiritual battle is very, very blatant with witch doctors everywhere and all kinds of weird stuff happening. It's a bit easier to see. But in our culture, the devil's done the clever trick. Um, what's that film in which it says the, the usual greatest... Suspect. Usual suspects. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled is to convince the world he doesn't exist. 
That's definitely the case in this in the West. But if we expect a spiritual battle, as we go out there with the word, as we become the sower or the ones listening to the word, receiving the seed as it were, it will impact the way that we pray for ourselves and for others. Also, I, I just was struck here, be, be encouraged though. This isn't saying this is a hard and fast thing that never changes. So we, we pray because the hard path, as it were, can become soft, fertile ground. And the example we get in this passage is Jesus' mother and brothers. It seems at this stage that they weren't really listening to Jesus. They were like seed on the path. They were just confused. They were thinking, what's he doing? He's not doing what we expect. And, you know, this is our son who, or brother who's just been in the carpentry business with us. And, and they're, not, they're not part of that close circle listening in. But later on we discover that Jesus' mother Mary and his brother James and his brother Jude, at, at the very least, were all clearly converted. And James and Jude became church leaders. And so as you think of those who, who don't respond, just keep praying for them. There's a spiritual battle on here. And our God is way more powerful than Satan. But expect a spiritual battle. Uh, second point there, point B on the sheets. Verse 13, by expecting hardship. You see verse 13, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. These are people who, who seem enthusiastic. And maybe some of us here. This is, this is to help us to sort of self-diagnose. And when hardship comes, the thing that hardship does, the things that struggles does, the time of testing does is it shows whether we were really interested in Jesus for Jesus or whether we were interested in Jesus just for the stuff that he can give us. Maybe there's stuff going on in, in your life at the moment where the stuff that you thought Jesus was going to give you is being taken away and you're thinking, is Jesus really worth living for? This is, was me this week. I, I, was, I had a bit of a struggle this week. I mean, I'm up and down all the time, as we all are. But I remember thinking there were some specific things that I was praying into and thinking, well, this is what I want in terms of the church. These, and they were good things. And they were good things that God encourages me to pray for. And I was thinking, God, you haven't given me those things. And so how can I really trust you? What's, what's the point of this? Are, are you really real? You tell me to pray for these things. I, I don't get them. They're not selfish things. I'm not, I'm not wanting more money. I want, I want lives to be changed. I want, I want relationships to be restored. Just hang on a second. And, and, and I think, God, why are you not giving me this? And I was hugely helped by a friend who counseled me. He said, just, just go back to Job. And, and listen to, there's a very helpful sermon series you'll find helpful as well. And I can point you in the direction of it. Vaughan Roberts on Job from Word Alive this year. But actually, I, I didn't need to get beyond the reading of the passage as I was listening to it. And I realised that Job had everything stripped away. And he gets down on his knees and falls before God in worship and says, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Ed was very helpful to me this week. He said, You need to build decay into your expectations you know we're in a world which, which is broken which is, which is out of relationship with God of course things are going to be hard of course things are going to be messy Satan is active and you need to have the right expectations you need to expect hardship because actually what hardship does and what it does in the book of Job is Job gets to see that he loves God for God rather than loving God for all the stuff that he's been given and there's a great victory over Satan who's trying to prove the opposite Okay, go on. Yeah. 
so through these really tough times as well. Um, mm. It's only through actually reading that part where it says, um, sorry, which one's the part again? Verse, tw- verse 13. Yeah. Time of testing, they fall away. Yeah, that's yeah. It. it was like, whenever I hear the word of God, for instance, I get excited. Mm. Like, for instance, like, I love coming to these Sunday sessions or mm. like, I don't see it as church, I see it's just coming to see my extended family. That's great. That's in the passage. (laughs) (laughs) But like, just hearing that, it's just like it hit. It's just it hit me like 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 a dumbbell kind of already. I don't know if we get hit with dumbbells. (laughs) 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 Yeah, please. Yeah, he gets hit by everything, even animals. But in all seriousness, it's just like, yeah, I'm hearing the word of God. I'm like, yeah. And then whenever I hear anything like that's Jesus and like all the other kind of stuff. And then now it's just like, okay, cool. It's like and then it goes back to the whole same thing of building your foundation on rock or sand. Yeah. And then it's just like, okay, cool. God's just like, alright, cool, yeah, take it. You want this, have that, you want this, have that. Oh what? You're my favorite guy. Hey, have this too, have some more blessings. And then you're just like, yes, because I was literally like this a couple months ago. And then God's just like, alright, cool, you see those blessings I gave you? Give me a minute, I'm going to take him away. Let me just see how you really are. Mm. <laughs> and then, so now I'm in shock and I'm just there like, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, 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 no. you can't take this away. No, wait, hold on, no, no, you can't take that away. Hold on. I'm like, God, what are you doing, man? I'm like, and then you go into the state of, you know what, man? No, I'm going, how can you give me this? Because I'll be honest, guys, it came to a point where I was like, I didn't believe anymore. I was just like, no, curse you, like, forget that. And pardon me, guys, sorry. Like, I'm just, I just want to be open with you guys. I love you guys. I'm like, <laughs> And it's just like, it's only, sorry for all of that, but it's just really reflecting on it. It's just like, and then it's Alex who taught me here. I don't know if he's awake. He's hiding. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying he's he's not to catch it right. He's, he's the opposite of you. <laughs> Alex likes to keep quiet. It's just Alex here who taught me. Alex is what, like, probably one of our oldest friends on the planet that I still talk to now. I love him dearly. Like, but he taught me about the story of Job. He's just about what you think you're going through a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great one to go back to. Well, it's hard because from humans, we only see from our perspective of okay, cool, yeah, I understand that's what happened. But Job, he's the definition of lost. And you know, like how we could there could be no money in our oyster. We could be like, oh no, I lost everything. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then Job would be like, oh really? <laughs> like, and then. It's that kind of view of empathy, or you know, you have to empathize, but then again, you have to also see that it's much deeper than just okay, cool, of God giving you gifts or someone giving something to you. You have to also, and it comes back to what you're saying, building a relationship with someone. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like if you get married to someone with money and they lose all the money, you won't love that person for who they are. It's just like if you love God for what He's given you, then you won't love God for what He's entitled, because when He takes away, then you have nothing. And it's just like, it's only now I'm to realize this. And there's one key phrase that Alex also taught me as well. Yeah. It's called God's timing. <laughs> and there's this thing where it's, just, there's this very, it's a very powerful phrase that you say. But people don't realize how powerful it is. And it's let thy will be done. And by let me that, let me pause you there, Alex. This is <laughs> this is fantastic. This is fantastic. But we're just we're just gonna get I'm through. So sorry, guys. No, no, no. I, really I'm so loving so this. Sorry, I'm sorry. loving this. I'm so sorry, guys. Um, yeah. I think this is I think this is great. I think the way that you're opening up is actually modelling, and I think I'd love others to feel like they can share in the same well, way. Please, guys, but just for the sake of time, we'll just we'll just keep yeah. going. Okay. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. I I'm massively enjoying this. <coughs> and actually, it ties into the next point. You see, verse. Point C. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't a distraction. It wasn't a distraction. That was on point. You were totally on point. (laughs) But another way that we we put Jesus' words into practice is by expecting distractions. Expecting distractions. Do you see verse 14? I mean, Alex just preached this, but the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear... But as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. I mean, this could happen at any stage, at any moment. There are things constantly wanting our attention, and we think they're more important than listening to Jesus. 
at any moment. What is it for you that's coming up this week that's going to stop you from listening to Jesus? That will feel more important? That that is the stuff that you want more than Jesus? That'll mean that you stand back from the automatic doors that he's inviting you in. He's saying, come to me. Come and experience all the blessings of being in relationship with me. And you stand back and the doors close. And you think, oh, that's not important because these things are important. What is that for you? Alex gave us some great examples of those kind of things. Andre, I don't know why I said no, Alex. Alex was doing anything to keep quiet. <laughs> um, the last of these soils is the good soil. Verse 15, do you see that? The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble... <coughs> noble's not a great word. It, it literally is two different ways of saying goods, but it's kind of receptive, productive... Those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. The thing I want you to focus on here is just that last bit. So persevering through all the trials, all the distractions, they produce a crop. What's the crop? the crop what's been sown the word so what's the crop the word the word I, I and many of you know this has been my big thing recently it just only until a couple of years ago i used to think the crop was other christians or uh, a fruitful life or um a life that's suddenly all sorted and everyone goes oh wow they're such an amazing person jesus must have changed them the crop is the word you know, some of us think that we're sorted already and there's not much work Jesus needs to do on us and actually as we become Christians we become more of a mess rather than less. The key thing is, are we reproducing the word? Are we hearing what Jesus is saying and saying it to others and allowing others to say it to us? That's the key. It's, it's the one sort of numeric... Uh, numeric results that Jesus gives us. You know, so often we think, is, is this church going well? You know, have we grown in numbers? That's not the numbers Jesus is talking about. But one way to assess our own lives, to think about our own hearts, is am I growing in producing word? Am I sowing more seed? Am I allowing seed to be sown into me? Am I learning the word so that I can reproduce it? And so, of course, we get the next section, verse 16, and I've entitled it by listening to it blatantly. By How do we put Jesus' word into practice? By listening to it blatantly. See verse 16? No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. And we kind of think Jesus is using this in the same way that he does elsewhere as kind of, you're like a city on a hill, uh, let your light shine before people live good lives and people will see that Jesus has done something amazing in you. But that's not what he's saying in this point. Because verse 18, therefore consider carefully how you listen. Okay, so the lamp on the stand is the word. It's not our changed lives. It's, it's the word. And if we hide the word under a jar, or put it under a bed, no one does that. It's a really, really simple point this is making. You don't take a lamp and, you know, we're currently installing some lights in our loft and the one place we're not putting them is under the cabinets and things. Simple point. If you want lights, you put it in a place where it shines the most. So put the word of God blatantly right in the middle of your life and let it shine into you first and foremost because verse 18 therefore consider carefully how you listen now obviously if we're listening all the time then that light is going to be going beyond us isn't it and others are going to be benefiting so that's how we reproduce the word is by we keep just absorbing the word listening 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 to it blatantly 
Oh. Um, what's verse 17 here? Go on. Uh, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. In relation to what you just said, everything that's been done in the dark will come to light. Yeah, that's right. So I think it, the point is that one day everyone will get to see the word. Okay. That in the gospel, on the last day, there won't be any, even unbelievers saying, that is not good news. Um, it'll just be such good news that it'll be shockingly awful that they've rejected it. And so while there's time, put it on the stand, don't just hide it under the bed. Otherwise, when it's brought out into the open, all you'll have is regret. The word is Jesus. And the word is Jesus. But it's, it's not just, you know, obviously he's talking about his message, his proclamation, the he words that he used. But he is the word. He is the communication of God. Yeah, that's how John's gospel starts in the beginning, was the word. He uses seeds, like, is it sort of like, that's Christ growing within you? Like yeah. This? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's all about relationship. So yeah, Jesus is the Word, so getting to know His Word is getting to know Him. And so if all we're doing is intellectual knowledge, there's something wrong there. I think that's why it's helpful to say Jesus is the Word. Okay, and then finally, point F, by being with Jesus' family. And, and this is where... We're going to close in a minute, but this is where I want us to dwell. I don't want us just to break up for, for coffee and, and, and drink and not talk about this. Jesus gave us a family so that we would be doing this kind of word, blatant word listening together. We need each other. Elsewhere, Jesus and the apostles use body language as well. This is such a close family, they're like organs in a body. Utterly interdependent. We need each other. I think as I was preparing, the most helpful thing I found was this question that I need to ask you and you need to ask others and me. What do you think I'm not really hearing? What do you think I'm not really hearing? Because we talked at the beginning as... What do you do when you're concerned someone else isn't listening? It's hard work, isn't it, when you, when you know someone hasn't been listening. Sometimes they haven't been listening for years. And you're not really hearing this. But if someone in humility comes to us and says, what do you think I'm not really hearing? Suddenly the conversation's a lot easier to begin, isn't it? But it's a dangerous question to ask because there are things that we'll be aware about each other that we're not really hearing and we're sort of biding our time thinking is it worth bringing this up but actually if we're a real family to each other if we love each other if we want each other to have a really deep relationship with the Lord Jesus well then we'll be proactively asking this question and I need to ask you guys and you, you need to be, feel free to totally come to me and, and, and say what you think I'm not really hearing there are definitely Sometimes what we'll need to do is bring in a third pair of ears, as it were. Because there's a tension there, and, and we're worried that, that when we need to say the hard thing to someone, that they won't receive it properly. And so we need to bring in a, a third pair of ears who, who we know loves, loves that person or, or is impartial. And then we ask that question. What do you think I'm not really hearing? Why don't you write that down? I need to ask a few people in my church family this week, what do you think I'm not really hearing? As a, as a pastor, I've got the privilege of, of knowing most of you better than most of you. And sometimes it just would be the most wonderful question to be asked. What, what do you think I'm not really hearing? Not just to tick the box this afternoon, but on an ongoing basis. In your gospel communities, at the end of the study, you know, or as you're working through it, what, what do you guys think I'm not really hearing? And someone will be maybe bold enough to say, well, actually, you know what you're not really hearing is 
this kind of love for your church family. You're not really hearing this <coughs> what Jesus says. You're not really understanding the gospel and how God loves you so much. And so your, your security and your value is based on things other than what Jesus came to rescue you for. We need to use tools, don't we, to, to make sure that we're really listening, taking notes or re-listening online. Um, I think we've got a better record now of, of the sermons online. You can listen to that. You can download the things you miss. If you find other voices more helpful, you know, come listen, listen as part of your church family, but also bring in others. You know, like, I was really helped by those talks on Job. What do you think I'm not really hearing? Ask your friends that. Ask the church family that. By being with Jesus' family, we can be shaped and changed to be more like him. Well, it's just gone fire. So let's close our formal time together with a prayer. And then we'll do this. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your words thank you that they're not just for us to slot into our intellectual understanding but you want us to change you want to shape us you want to make us more like you and being like you following you obeying you in every area is life to the full as you say and so we desperately want it and yet so often we think other things are more important we're distracted by other things and sometimes we can't see that for ourselves. So help us to be a real family to each other. Help us to be mothers and brothers and sisters to each other. So that we really listen to what Jesus says and put it into practice. Please show us, even today, this week, where we're not putting into practice what you would have us do. Help us to do that for each other, to love each other enough to say the hard thing. And help us to receive it in love. In your name. Amen. Amen.